Welcome this morning as you join with us at Calvary Chapel, Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Clee will resume delivering the word from the book of Hebrews. Let us focus in to what the Lord has to show us. Good morning once again. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. This morning I'm excited because we're finishing the book of Hebrews and it has been 24 weeks that we have spent in this book 24 weeks of going over the better things of Christianity and now that comes to a close uh, in our study in the book of Hebrews so if you turn over there with me to chapter 13 we'll begin uh, in verse 18 and we stopped in 17 last week uh, we'll begin in verse 18 and I will read down to verse 25. So if you would stand with me also that we might give honor to God's word. And then we'll pray and we'll look a little bit closer into the scriptures. Into, as it describes in the book of James, the perfect law of liberty, of freedom, of what we need in Christ. So here we are, Hebrews 13, verse 18, it says... Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brothers, suffer the word of exhortation. For I have written a letter to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help our minds to be connected, to be concentrated on what your truth has to say to us today. Lord, we realize and recognize that this is not a natural thing that we're doing, as if we were studying uh, some subject in school or if we were uh, researching uh, some situation. Lord, this is different. This is a spiritual thing, and we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding so that we don't just gain knowledge and become puffed up, but that, Lord, we might allow this knowledge and be reminded of this knowledge so that it can flow deep down into our hearts and into our feet, and into our hands, that we may see it, Lord, and that we may do it. And so I just ask that you would help us, Lord, with not just understanding this, but also the application of this. How does it look in our lives? How do we walk in this? Help us to understand that. Now, we thank you for this time that we have to gather with one another and to, to seek your face. And so would you be here? Would you allow the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to be effective this morning for our hearts, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please 
Uh, be seated. Uh, last week, we uh, got into Hebrews chapter 13, and we studied verse 1 all the way down to verse 17. And we, we talked about the theme of those verses, uh, which was consistent Christian living. How to be consistent as a Christian, to, to live like a Christian, and to do that regularly. And so there were a number of things that the writer explained for us and laid out for us uh, the, the how to be a consistent Christian, how to live as a consistent Christian. And so we stopped abruptly in that chapter last week in verse 17, and we need to pick back up in verse 18. So the title of our message this morning is just part two of Consistent Christian Living. Now, last week we, we concentrated more on a steadiness, a steady conduct, steady character, steady confidence. But this week we'll see a constant prayer, how if a Christian is going to be consistent in their living, they have to have constant prayer. They also need constant progress, and we need a constant purpose. And this is what the writer seeks to exhort and encourage the believers with as he closes out the letter. As he closes out the letter. We, we talked about that, just as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, that our lives are living letters. The Bible calls it living epistles. Known and read by men everywhere. Not written with ink, but written, no doubt, by the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in our lives. And so we, we have to live consistently so that people can have the full story from beginning to the end. They can't be missing a chapter in our lives. You know, and they're like, well, I thought that I was learning about the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm missing a couple chapters because of how inconsistent you have been. People are reading us. And so think about that as we continue through the rest of this chapter. There's a movie called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. It's, it's actually a documentary, and it's about uh, a couple of individuals, some notable ones, and, and no doubt in heaven, the ones that we don't know are notable as well. But there were some men that went down into the Amazon uh, rainforest, and they, they went there to reach an indigenous group of people, or people known to cut people alive with machetes I mean, that nobody had ever talked to them or reached them. And um, uh, people like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, and, and you know Jim Elliott from his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, and, and things like that. But these people went down uh, into this, this area, this unreached uh, area for the gospel, and they went there to try to reach these people. And it was Jim Elliott that had this quote. He said, Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Live to the hilt means live it out completely, fully. It's a phrase, to the hilt. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Be all there. To be a Christian in the environment that we're in is a very hard thing. It's going backwards. In fact, you may even seem and appear to be upside down 
and your thinking and your approach to life. If you're coming around and you're like, I need, you know, we need to save and, you know, I, I try to live by cash and I really need to make sure I have a good handle on my money. People will look at you and say, you're, something's wrong with you. Because we live in a day and age that if you want it, go get it. I mean, there's credit there. There's everything that you, that you, you can just get it whenever you want. But to be a Christian, to live by biblical principles, is like upside down living. This is how people will look at you. This is how they'll look at me. This is how they'll look at us when we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're committed to his values, to his ways. And so we have to be all there especially if that letter is going to be very clear. We wanted to get straight to the Christ. That is our desire. You know, if someone was to follow us around for 24 hours, would that lead them to the Lord Jesus? Would it lead them? Would they fall on their knees and say, man, I just, I really need to know the Lord, man. That's how we want to live. That's our ambition. And so here, the writer, he has been writing to these Hebrew Christians back in the first century that have been, you know, they've been conflicted. That part of them feels like they need to go back into the old religion that they were a part of. But then the other part is like, I need to embrace what the Lord is calling me to. And so the writer has been trying to convince them about the superiority of the Savior, showing how, how much he's different from everything that they have known and all the religion that they have followed and the systems that they have committed to. And then, in chapter 10, all the way up until now, he explains to them the priority for the saint. Now, here's the priority for us. Now that we know that the Savior is superior, here's what we do with that knowledge. Here's what we do with that information. This is what we do here. These are the priorities that we must live by. So consistent Christian living, the writer says here in verse 18, he says, pray for us. That's what he says. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things to live honestly. Pray for us. Now, this is one of the uh, only books in the New Testament that does not have an author ascribed to it. Okay, so no one knows necessarily who wrote this letter. Now, there are a lot of people that have some ideas, and if you spend enough time going through the other letters, I think that you can get a feel, an idea, possibly, who might be behind it. But nevertheless, we're still 10% off. Even if we're 90% there, we just won't know it because God left that part out. Now, I, I, I believe that this was the Apostle Paul. I, that's my belief. Now, I might be completely wrong, and, and very sheepish when I get to heaven and it'd be somebody else that I didn't even know, some, some saint. It's like, well, I, you know, Lord, put it on my heart to write it, you know. And I was, well, sorry. I didn't mean to take away that from you. But I, I kind of feel like it's Paul because it has all the markings of the apostle. And I know that he was an apostle called to the Gentiles, as it explains to us in the book of Acts. He so desired to want to reach the Jewish Christians. That was his, oh, he says in the book of Romans, I would, if I could be accursed for my brothers, the Jews, I would, so that they could come to know Christ. He had a zeal for them. You know, even there in the book of Acts, 
uh, around chapter 21 and 20 or so. He's in Jerusalem desiring to reach them. He wanted to reach them, but he couldn't. And so I, this is leading me to believe, you know, that, you know, here it is. He wants to reach them, but he doesn't want to lose them, uh, just knowing what he stands for. But also, he has this, in 13 of the letters that God has used him to, to pen, uh, he has this constant uh, flair about him with prayer. Pray for us. Pray for us. He says it over and over. We're praying for you. Pray for us that we'll be able to do this. You got to ask yourself, who's the us in this verse? Who's the us? Who's the pray for us? There weren't many people that were rolling with a, a Christian posse, if you want to call it that. You know, these guys, man, they were fellow laborers and, and prisoners, as they called themselves in the Lord. Uh, bond servants serving the Lord. We saw it all at the end of all of the prison epistles when we read those uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and, and Philemon. All at the end, he explains all the guys that were with him. It would seem appropriate from that standpoint. Pray for us. Now, the, the thing about it here is he's mentioned in prayer because he even goes into 19 and he says, but I beg you, or the King James says, I beseech you rather to do this. Um, when it says rather to do this, it means to a greater degree, uh, to increase with it, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Is this idea of prayer for the believer. If we are going to be consistent Christians in our living for Christ, then we have to have a constant prayer about our lives. We have to be in prayer constantly. He shifts to the mode of just pray for me and, and pray for me even more so that I might be able to see you. Pray for me. You see, prayer uh, to the Christian is like water to a fish. You know, they, they have to live in it. They are becoming of it. This is who they are. You take a fish out of the water, it doesn't survive. There, there's no way it can survive. This is how it is with a Christian. You take prayer away from a Christian or a Christian out of prayer. How do you expect a Christian to survive? Yet, many of us Christians have zero prayer life. Our prayers mainly consist of food prayers. Father, bless us. Bless us for this pizza I'm about to eat. Hey, man, how's your prayer life? I mean, you know, three times a day, it's over a meal. But we, we don't have a, a robust prayer life. A prayer life in which we expect God to do certain things. And when we run to Him, when we have difficulty, and when we seek Him and depend upon Him, and we know He's the only one with the answers to help us, to guide us, to direct us. And so we need this prayer. In fact, the writer of 1 Timothy, uh, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 1, and I think it's so appropriate uh, for even this section that we're studying here in Hebrews. He says, in 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort, therefore, strong word, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And the writer there says, look, I, I exhort you to be people of prayer, first and foremost. And he explains the different types of prayers that are there, the, the supplications, which are the requests, the intercessions, 
which is standing in the gap, seeking the Lord for yourself or maybe someone in a certain situation. He says just general prayer, and he says giving up thanks, just blessing the Lord. But the writer there says, look, I, I exhort you as believers to be in constant prayer. And we can't look past this. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. Those weapons, that weapon is prayer. This is how we fight battles. We don't fight battles physically as a Christian. You know, when we sense that there is some opposition, when we sense that there is a great conflict, uh, we don't fight it with worldly wisdom. Well, I'm going to get back at them. Let me see. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, if I take this door, I'm going to trap them. Then I'll be able to get them right into that position. They'll look like a fool. That's not how Christians operate. We operate through prayer. That, that means we trust the Lord with the situation. You know, when someone is saying, what are you doing about it? Or how are you going to handle it? We're not like, well, I'm going to go. We're saying, well, I'm, I'm going to seek the Lord. That seems weak to some people. The Lord, man, you need to do something. You need to speak up. You need to be strong for yourself. No, that is being strong. That's being dependent upon the one who can do something about it and truly do it well and accurate and perfectly. This is necessary for the Christian. And, and I love how the writer here at the end of Hebrews says, pray for us. He says, pray and do it more. Be in that spirit of prayer. Be in that spirit of prayer. And prayer is, is, is just one of those neglected things. I mean, one of the, the, the lowest uh, services that people would attend is the prayer meeting. Like, you know, when you hear prayer, you're like, oh, man, I'll skip that. Just let me know when they're teaching through the Word again. Like, we, we don't come. And then one of the, the, the less disciplined uh, things that Christians do is prayer. Like most people, they're, they're not, they don't even know how to pray. They're like, I don't know how to pray, so I don't even do it. Like, I don't even know what that is. Or they get intimidated by it. And they come and they pray with other people and they just think that, man, if my prayers don't sound like that person's prayers, then I, I'd just rather not even pray. because you know, And that's not what prayer is. Prayer is just communication with God. It's just talking with God. That's what prayer is. It's, it's bringing our hearts, humbling ourselves, and talking to the Lord about our problems, requesting from the Lord about situations and things that we need. That's, that's what prayer is. It's not about eloquence. It's not about how well we can put this verse together in our prayers. Even that is a measure, has a, 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 a hint of pride in it. You know, when we're just thinking about how to make it all right. Remember, the man that was standing in the temple with the tax collector, you know, he was making his long prayer to God, talking about how he's not like this tax collector and you know, I tithe, I do all this. And this sounded really good. But the tax collector, all he did was just beat his chest and say, be merciful to me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And that prayer was accepted. The other one wasn't. And so God is not really interested in and how, but he wants us to do it often. That is the key, is that we need to be in a habit of prayer. 
Look, the greatest measure, even as he tells us here, I beseech you rather to do this. That means to a greater degree. I beseech you, I beg you to do this to a greater degree. Um, in prayer, the greatest measure, the great measure of prayer is not the length of our prayers. It's the breadth of our prayers. It is, it is how often we do it. That's the greatest measure. It's not how long we can pray. Some people say, man, I pray for three hours straight. And you think that that is spiritual. That's not spiritual. But how often we pray. Do we pray without ceasing, as it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we are always looking for an opportunity and we find ourselves by ourselves maybe or with others seeking the Lord. We need to be in the habit of prayer. And I think this is what the writer is encouraging the believers here at the end is just pray for us. Now notice what he says here. He says, pray for us in verse 18. He says, for we trust that we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Now this is an, a very important statement because he's saying pray for us but don't just pray for us in our foolishness. You know, we're, we're not in foolishness. Pray for us because our lives are lining up with God's will. See, that sometimes is, is the difference between effective prayer and non-effective prayer. There, there are many people that say, I've been praying. You know, you say, man, you should seek the Lord about your situation. I've been praying. I've been praying about this for months. I've been seeking the Lord for weeks. He, I got no response. And then you, you ask, how are they living their lives? Is your life consistently lining up with what the Lord expects from you? Well, you know, I got some problems, some issues. I'm not really walking fully in those things. I mean, I'm not really reading the scriptures much. Then how do you expect to get the answer to the things that you're praying for? Because, listen, effective prayer lines up with the will of God. This is what he's saying. Look, we trust we have a good conscience in all things. So we're living sincerely and genuinely and honestly. We're not, we're not doing under-the-table stuff, and we're not, we're not living in a compromising fashion so that we couldn't get an answer to the prayer that we are praying. No, he says, look, it's consistent. And so, in fact, the prayer lines up with the will of God. And, and gang, the answers to those prayers that we pray is, is definitely lines up also with those that depend upon them. You want to answer a prayer, we gotta, we gotta depend upon God. We gotta depend upon what the Lord is saying. We have to be living it out. We can't pray for the good things and then don't, don't really want the Lord. I was uh, meeting with a gentleman this past week and we have been doing some discipleship and looking at what it means to be a disciple and, what it means to walk with purpose. And uh, we, you know, he brought the, the situation out and said, you know, it, I guess it's similar to us just wanting the best things without really putting in the work. And that's exactly sometimes how we are. We want the fruits without the roots. We just want to cut flowers, as William Still, pastor, once said. We just want cut flowers. You want to go to the store. And you just want to get those roses that look good. You don't want the rose bush, the thing that's in the ground. You don't want to do that. Listen, from experience, that's, that's very difficult stuff. Because that rose bush, it grows and it gets wild. And you got to go and you got to prune it. You got to cut off these branches and get stuck in your finger. And it's, it's hard. 
It gets very, very hairy. But that's what happens when we go into it fully, when we're living for the Lord all the way and we're praying that, you know, we're, we're taking the fruits and the roots together. And so the writer here is encouraging them to be in constant prayer. But listen, also remembering that effective prayer and the answers to those prayers is going to line up with God's will. So if you want the Lord to respond to you, if you want God to answer you, if you want uh, the things that you're praying for, and make sure it's lining up with what he wants in your life. In the next book over, in the book of James, you know, he says to them that you ask not, in James 4, 3, and you receive not because you ask with evil intentions that you may consume it upon your lust. The reason why you're not really getting your prayers is because your life is not lining up with the will of God. You just want the things that are going to please your own desires, not the things that will bring honor and glory to Him. Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray about things that we desire from the Lord. And Man, God, I really would love to have an iPod or whatever it is. I mean, the Lord would still hear that, but I'm saying as you're praying, making sure that you are walking in that same flair, that your life is not out of, out of tune with how it was coming out of your lips. And so he exhorts the believers there, be in constant prayer. Do this more and more. Do it more and more. Do it to a greater degree that I may be restored to you sooner. So apparently there's a relationship that he has with these believers that they know him. He knows them. He wants to join them once again and have that fellowship with him. But it's dependent upon what? It's dependent upon their prayers. How much of our lives, how much of the things that we do are dependent upon prayer? How much of it? If you just think about it in your mind, how much of what we do is dependent upon prayer? You want to go somewhere? You jump in the car. Is that dependent upon prayer? Man, I'm praying that the Lord gets me to my next destination because truly I don't know. How much of it is dependent upon prayer? The work that you do. The effort of your studies. If you're in school. Whatever it is. How much of it is dependent upon prayer? There are times in which I'm getting ready to do stuff. And in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know I should pray before I do this. But I just do it. I always come out frustrated. All the time. And I'm just like, oh, goodness. I should just take in a minute to just pray and make sure that everything I'm, I'm doing is dependent upon prayer. He's saying his release, or wherever they are, is dependent upon prayer, their prayers, and how much more they're doing it. Very interesting point there. Uh, that is something that we should take back and examine. Make sure that we're praying about everything, as it tells us in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but instead pray about everything. Everything. So it tells us. Just always be in that constant prayer. If you want that consistent Christian life, be in constant prayer. I remember my friend Jose told me one time that his, uh, his uh, wife's uh, grandfather came up to visit them. And he had some time, a chance to spend some time with him. And uh, he was, we were at a home fellowship. And he was like, man, you don't know, this guy has been like a real blessing when it comes to believe in the Lord. He said, we went to lunch and we had lunch in the park and it was pretty busy in this park somewhere in D.C. And he says, he says, we're, we're going to lunch. And he said, I asked him if he wanted to pray. We just had a couple of hot dogs. Man, it wasn't anything that was big. 
And he's like, sure. He said, man, he got down on his knees and he had his arms spread to heaven. He's like, Lord, would you? He said, I'm over here looking like, goodness gracious, people going to see us. And he said, I started thinking to myself, what am I thinking? Like, what? This, this man has a, obviously a relationship and a connection with God where he doesn't care what people think. This is his God. And he said, man, just that time that he spent with him was such an exhilarating um, uh, you know, just uh, minutes and hours, and and it, and it was something that really touched him big time, as as to whether or not he's going to live out his life the same way. We need to be this way, guys. We need to be consistent. We need to be constant in prayer. He says here in verse twenty, he says, "Now, the God of peace." So he switches now to a little small benediction that would be like a prayer for them, or something that he's desiring in their lives and he says now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect that's what he says there and so he's now transitioning the thought of his letter into real spiritual progress so constant progress we have we need to be in constant prayer we need to have a constant progress as a Christian where we're moving forward we're, we're moving and being developed by the Lord we're, we're, we're growing up and becoming more mature we're not staying still in our Christianity we're not just treading water and what God wants to do with our lives uh, so many of us Christians we're not moving forward and you know as the statement goes, that, that you know, being a Christian is like climbing a grease pole. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. There's no in-between. There's no middle. So if you're not intentionally pressing for the things of God and trying to progress in the principles of the Word of God, then you are, you're, you're sliding back. You're going backwards. And it doesn't matter what anyone says to you or however you think. That's the truth. You have to be pressing forward. Christianity is all about forward progress. It's all about making progress. God finds us in a certain way and he accepts us in a certain way because he always cleans his fish after he catches them. He doesn't look for us to get cleaned up first. You know, like that song says, I, you know, help me to clean up what I messed up, you know, some old gospel song. But, you know, it's not about that. It's not about us trying to clean ourselves up before we come to God. He accepts us that way, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. We have to be, we have to continue. We have to be committed to the process of sanctification, to growth. Now, why does he mention here when he says in his prayer that this God who's done all these things that would make you perfect, make you perfect. Why does he say the God of peace? What is his reasoning for saying to God? Why not the, the Lord of hosts? I want to say the God of provision, you know, because I'm going to need all these things. But why the God of peace? And I, I like to think that oftentimes that great progress is accompanied by great problems. And that you don't normally get to make progress unless you have conflict, unless you have problems. You know, we don't grow unless we have trials. It tells us that there in James uh, chapter uh, 1. You know, that we, we, need the, we need the trials. The, the trying of our faith, 
What it does is it produces endurance. We need the trials in our life to make us like the Lord. And so it's like great progress is accompanied by great problems. And so peace, what it does is it helps all that work together. That's what peace does. And so that's why he says the God of peace. See, these Christians here would be in between, you know, going back into Judaism or trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we know now as Christianity. And so the God of peace can help all that work together, especially when we're confused. In the book of Colossians, just a couple books over to the left, in chapter 3, uh, verse 15, uh, the writer says there, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word can be translated, umpire your hearts. Let the peace of God call the shots. And where, where that verse is nestled is right in between putting on this new man, getting rid of the old man, and walking in Christian conduct. And there's going to be a lot of conflict when we are trying to walk like a Christian. We need the peace of God to help call the shots, to keep our hearts steady. And centered on him. Even in the book of Philippians, same thing. He had been exhorting these believers. And he tells them in verse 7, And the peace of God of chapter 4, Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, in the midst of all of our pursuit of trying to grow as a Christian, we need the peace of God to help us because there'll be things and times in which God is trying to accomplish something in our lives that we don't understand that we cannot comprehend we don't know why it's going the way that it's going but we do know that all things work together for the good of those who are the called and according to his good purpose we know that God is working these things out for us but sometimes we don't understand and it's in those times that the God of peace will allow us to continue. So he says there, now the God of peace that did all these things, that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. No, it speaks of his personification, the Lord Jesus. And later in verse 21, he says, through Jesus Christ, that's speaking of his position as the Messiah. But he says, the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he says, make you perfect in every good work to do as well. Make you perfect. Now, is God trying to make us perfect? Well, in our English sense, and in, in our language today, that, that word perfect, we will oftentimes accompany that with without flaw. We would say this is a person that is, they do, they do everything right. And that's not what the, the text is saying here. But the word perfect can be uh, translated complete, mature, that he wants to make you what you should be, what you ought to be. That's what he's saying. That the God of peace make you what you ought to be in him. Make you perfect. Make you complete. Make you be the person that he was calling you to be from the beginning. And so there is progress in the Lord. We need Spiritual progress. See, God is not just interested in you and I and us 
just becoming Christians. He's not just interested in that. He's interested in us becoming whole Christians, complete Christians, mature Christians, just like any parent is hoping that their child becomes a contributing adult, not a, a baby adult, someone that is 50 years old and they still act like they're 12. No, no parent is looking for that. They want their, their child to grow up and make decisions and live their life and honor the Lord and be wise and help other people out. And this is the hope of any parent. And this is the desire of our God. He wants to make us mature, complete. This is why we need forward progress. It's why we have to be thinking to ourselves, man, am I, am I a whole Christian? Am I missing some parts? What's, what's missing in my life? In the book of Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul said that he came to, he, he came to Ephesus in Acts 19. He met up with some disciples, is what he called them. He met up with some of them. And immediately he asked them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I'm always intrigued at how that chapter begins because they don't really get into anything else. You know, the writer Luke, when he was writing that down, he didn't say like, yeah, Paul met these guys. They conversed a bit about where they were from and stuff like that. And then and finally they got into some things about Christ. And then he asked him this question. He didn't even go down that trail. It just is so curt. He says, he's, it's so blunt. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Like, there was something wrong with these disciples. Something was missing in these Christians. They weren't whole Christians. They were missing some key aspects of their life, spiritual life. And so God doesn't want that from us. He wants us to be whole Christians. So three ways here, the writer explains to us how we can become a whole Christian. And it's all about walking here. Notice he says, that God might make you perfect in every good work. Look, if we want to be a whole Christian, then we have to be walking in the work that he has prepared for us to do. That's, that's the key. And in, the, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works which God has before ordained or prepared or predestined or pre-planned or pre-arranged that we should walk in them. God has already prepared these things for us. If we want to be a whole Christian, we got to be walking in the things that God has prepared, that God has planned. That tells me that none of us is without purpose. Every person on this earth has been created with a specific purpose. But guys, I tell you, it breaks my heart sometimes when I come by people on a weekly basis and I see people sitting outside on benches without a purpose, staring into the air, wondering, no doubt, what has become of their life. I look at these people and I think they used to be little people, children with much potential. Now some of them are adults. And they have no purpose. Even that person on the bench that seems to be homeless, God has created that person with a purpose, good works for them to do, for them to come to him and respond to him. They, they find themselves lost right now. 
or some of them in the wilderness, or some of them under great oppression. And I, I oftentimes I just I pray and I, I say, Lord, I would, Lord, just show me if you would want me to do something. I, I would want to do it, not just to meet the physical need, because that's what we always oftentimes think when a person is is uh, you know without purpose or let's just say homeless in this case. We're like we just need to get them some food and yeah they need to eat but they need more than that. You see the Lord said man should not just live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread alone is not going to sustain us. They need something more, something more weighty. And people in this day and age need something more weighty. I mean there are people even at the college. You know, they're in this college and it's nice and they have these classes, but they still don't even know where they're going with their lives. Have no purpose whatsoever. God hasn't created us that way. And so if we want to be a whole Christian, we got to be walking in the work that God has for us. We have to be walking in it. That means if you don't know it, we need to be praying and asking the Lord to show me then we need to diligently move into that. Here's the other thing. If we want to be a whole Christian, we need to be walking in His will. That's what He says. He says, God will make you perfect in every good work to do His will. To put that into action, to do His will. If we're going to be a whole Christian, we have to be walking in the will of God, the will of God for us. Now, what is God's will for us? In the book of 1 Thessalonians, I encourage you to go and read in that book because it tells us that God's will is that you be pure. Your sanctification is the will of God. God's will is that you're not defiled, that you're not corrupted in the things of this world. God's will is that you are walking in thanks, thankfulness. That's God's will. God's will is not hard to, to figure out. You just do those things. His will is for you to Follow the Lord Jesus, to know Him well, to be acquainted with Him, to take His yoke upon you, to learn of Him, Matthew 11. That, that's His will. You do those things, the other things become more clear. We, oftentimes, we want to get to point B without doing point A first. got to do that. The last thing of, of becoming a whole Christian is, is walking in his work for you, walking in his will for you, and walking in his wisdom. Notice he says that, he says, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, or through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. It tells us that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that, that Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. And so we, we have to walk in Him. It tells us even in Romans to, to put on the Lord Jesus. We got we to gotta walk in Him, in His wisdom. Walk in His way. Emulate Him. Follow Him. That is how we become a whole Christian. And so we don't want to miss any one of those parts. Because that's what God desires from us. And this is what the writer was praying for the believers. That God would make you mature. Make you complete. And his work for you. His will for you. And even his wisdom for your life. We need that. And so he finishes up here in verse 22 through 25. 
with a constant purpose because he says, and I beseech you. Here's that word again. It was in verse 19 in the King James. I beseech. It's an old English word. It means I implore you. I urge you. I beg you. He says, I beseech you, brothers, to suffer the word of exhortation. For I have written a letter to you in a few words. To bear with it. To bear with the letter this, this word of exhortation, these words that he has given them, he says, I want you to bear with it. I want you to receive it, accept it, concentrate on it, focus on it. This is what he's encouraging the believers to do. And so living uh, consistently as a Christian is living with a constant purpose. You know, we're going back to the word constantly. This is what he wanted them to do. Go back to the words that I shared with you. Go back to them. Concentrate on today, become part of you. That's what it means to, to bear. I like how it uses the word suffer. Suffer the word of exhortation. Because when you think about suffering, you know, it's something that's a part of you. You're a part of it. This is who you are. He says, bear with it. Get close to it. Spend time with it. These words that I have written to you. And we have to remember that. As, as Christians, to have a constant purpose is to be constantly in the Word of God. That's, that's real purpose, is, is being intentional. Being intentional. And this is what he's saying. Be intentional. Spend time with those words. Be acquainted with those words. And he says, I have written a letter to you in a few words. Now this letter that he wrote here, the book of Hebrews. We have chapters now. Originally, there was no chapters. But this, this letter is sometimes referred to as a treatise. And a treatise, if you understand what a treatise is, you will find that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. He said that he wrote a former treatise to this man named Theophilus. And that would be the book of Luke. And so we know that the book of Luke is, a, is an account of the Lord Jesus. But a treatise is, is a formal and a systematic uh, dealing with a written account. And so you're, you're really laying it all out. And this is what he's done here. He says, I wrote to you a few words, but it, it, it was a treatise, but it was so short, truncated. It wasn't a whole lot. The book of Luke, we got 24 chapters in that book. There's a lot of information. But here, he says a few words. And you know, what was interesting about it, I went and counted the words. There's an easy way to do it today. But he wrote, like, he wrote about 7,000 words. In this letter, 7,000 words. He says that these were just a few words. 7,000 words. About 303 verses found in this book. This is what he says. I want you to concentrate on these things. Concentrate on these words. Become familiar and acquainted with these words. And then he says, Know that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. See, when... Now he's invoking people like Timothy. Now we know that Timothy had other companions, but mainly, Acts chapter 16, mainly he was a companion of the Apostle Paul. When Paul went on his third missionary journey, um, it tells us that, uh, that Timothy was, was with him. You know, the, the first journey was with Paul and Barnabas, and, um, and then the, maybe this was the second, second journey. Then Paul and Silas and Timothy went. On this, on this next one. But Timothy was a very close companion to Paul. 
And, you know, he, write, he was the, the guy whose name bears the last letter that he wrote, which was First and Second Timothy, uh, known traditionally as possibly the pastor of Ephesus. You know, this, this man was close. And so he says, Know that our brother Timothy is set at, at liberty, with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. And then he says, Greet all them that have rule over you and all the saints, and they of Italy salute you. So this tells me that this man, whoever is writing this, is in Italy at the time. And we know that the Apostle Paul was in a book, he, he was in Rome as a prisoner. It all fits that he would possibly be the writer. But we still leave that 10% out there and we could be wrong since God left it silent. And he says, grace be with you all. Amen. I think that's another uh, uh, leading there on who possibly wrote it. And all 13 of the letters, he ends it the same exact way. Again, you can go check it out for yourself. In Romans, he says it. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians 1 and 2, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. He says the same statement right at the end. Grace be with you all. Amen. The same statement. And so it would seem fitting that that would be the person. I don't know if I'm convincing you, but still keep the 10% there. But, but here he, he tells them lastly to greet them. He says embrace them. That's what that word salute means. It's, it's more than just a few words like say what's up to the people that have rule over you. No, that, that means to embrace them with, with kissing and uh, frequent, um, frequently trying to hold them back from their journey. Like really embracing these people that have rule over you. And, and explaining that not in a dirty sense like these people have rule and that you're subject to them. But the leaders that are among you, the spiritual leaders, take note of them. Embrace them. That's what he says. These are the people that are going to help shepherd and guide you to spiritual success. That will be there to help ensure your spiritual progress. When you have a flat tire spiritually, they'll be there to pray for you. Help show you what the scriptures say about your situation. If they don't know, they'll just walk with you through it. He's like, remember these guys. They are essential in your growth. Essential. And there is the book of Hebrews. And we started off with this book with the theme of better things. That God has better things for us. That's what the book of Hebrews was all about. Better things. And the writer went through his short treatise to show us systematically how there are so much more better things for the Christian. You know, he showed us in chapter 1, verse 4, that Christ was better than the angels. Then he showed us again in chapter 6, verse 9, that we have better things of salvation. In chapter 7, verse 19, he tells us that we have a better hope. A better hope. In chapter 7, verse 22, he says, we have a better testament, an agreement with God, a better one. That's what the Lord Jesus makes for us. In chapter 8, verse 6, it says that we have a better covenant, this promise with God. In chapter 9, verse 23, that there's a better sacrifice in Christ. He tells us in chapter 10, verse 34, that we have a better reward and expectation, things to look forward to. In cha chapter 11, 
verse 16, he says that we have a better country that we're looking forward to. Not citizens of here, a better country. In chapter 11, verse 35, he says we have a better resurrection. And in chapter 12, verse 24, he says that there is better blood that speaks better things than what Abel's blood speaks. There's a better blood, that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, is speaking grace to the Christian, is speaking grace to the believer, to the one that is following the Lord closely as a disciple. So much more better things for us if we could only just know them. In the book of Hebrews, we can. We can know those things. And so I encourage you to be familiar with this book. And any time that you encounter someone that tells you that there is something better than Jesus Christ, you tell them, there's no way. Let me take you to the book of Hebrews. Let me show you how superior the Savior is to the things that you think. Let me show you what the priority for the saints. These are better things. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. You can follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta. And you can visit our website at ccvaldosta.weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons to further equip and edify you. Let's say a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you for the book of Hebrews, and I thank you for what uh, you have been sharing with us over these 24 weeks of just going through uh, Hebrews methodically, Lord, systematically, word by word, verse by verse, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Lord, I, my prayer is that, uh, that this word that we went through, uh, we're not just stopping our heads, Lord, and we just pick up more verses and, and now we're just puffed up, Lord, but we would refer back often to this book uh, just to remind ourselves of how important it is, Lord, uh, to be a Christian in a day that we live with as much conflict. We don't want to drift away from you, Lord. We don't want to turn away. And God, we don't want to even reject progress and growth in our lives. Help us to constantly examine ourselves and making sure that we are walking in the better things that you have for us until we meet you face to face and we get to walk in it fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.